Turn with me to Genesis 25. What I'm going to do is just go over some scriptures, and uh, I'm sure you've heard uh, a million messages on men and raising children and all that kind of stuff, but hopefully we could go over something today. It might be an encouragement to you, a reminder to you. And uh, I, I don't, I'm not an expert. I'm not, you know, up here like the perfect dad or the perfect husband or perfect man. But um, I, I do thank God that I got saved and I got a Bible and I was able to learn a lot of stuff from God. So thank the Lord for that. Let's pray. Father, I love you tonight and I praise you and I thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Lord, just open the Bible tonight, the Word of God. And I pray you meet with us and bless us and God, I pray you'll speak in our hearts. And uh, Lord, I pray for some of these young men that they'll get some wisdom. And uh, we ask you this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis chapter 25 and verse 29. And Jacob sawed pottage. I think he was a sissy. I really do. Anybody making pottage? Esau, I know Jacob's the good guy and Esau's the bad guy, but I'm, I'm a bow hunter. And Esau was a man went out with his bow and shot a deer. And Jacob's in the kitchen cooking soup. And I don't understand all that, how God works, but he just does. Amen. So... Jacob sawed pottage. Esau came from the field and was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I'm faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drank and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, the birthright was the oldest son in the family was the firstborn. That was his right by birth, so it's called the birthright. And the birthright would be uh, the, when, when the father died, he would be the patriarch of the family. And he would get a double portion. He would, he would get twice as much as his other brothers would get. Now, the birthright was a spiritual thing for, for somebody to have that birthright. And here's Esau. The Bible says he's a profane man. He doesn't really care about spiritual things. So the birthright was something to be desired. It was something that it came from God. He was born uh, the, 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 the oldest son, and, but he didn't care about it. He despised it. Now, I said all that to say this. As men... We have a birthright. Our birthright is we were born men. When I got born, they said, it's a boy. And I was a boy. I never wished I was a girl, by the way. I didn't wear girl clothes. I don't wear earrings. Never had long hair, even back in the hippie days. But I'm a man. Now, that is my birthright. When God wanted somebody to take care of the garden, he called a man to rule over the world. When God wanted somebody to rule Israel, he called a man. When, some, when God wanted somebody to rule the church, he called a man. When some, God wanted somebody to rule the family, he called a man. Now, if I don't fulfill my role as a man, as a leader, let me say this, um, to be a man, to be born a man is to be born a leader. You're supposed to lead, if, lead your family. Uh, give people leadership, give people direction. So that is, our, that is our birthright. 
and we don't want to give up our birthright. We're, we're living in, a, in just perilous times. The Bible says in the last days, perilous times shall come. And we have women are, if we're born to lead, women are born to follow. All right? If I'm born to lead, my wife, my children, my family, women are born to follow. What we have today is we have women leading and men following. We have the feminization of America. We've got the feminization of the church. We've got pastorettes. And we've got women leading churches. In the Bible, it was a curse to have a woman leader. We're going to have a vice, president, vice presidential candidate, which is going to be a lady. I don't hate ladies. My mom was a lady. My wife is a lady. I've got granddaughters. It's not a matter of being a chauvinist. It's a matter of having a biblical worldview and knowing what God called us to do. We're, as men, we shouldn't be wimps. We shouldn't be wimping out. We ought to be taking our responsibility, taking our position. And, and it's just really sad that people today, we ha we're so biblically illiterate as, as a nation, even in our churches. It's just how little Bible we know. It's really, it really is pitiful. So let me just say this. Don't, don't give up your birthright. Be, be a man. Be a man. The guy out there in California, or Arnold Schwarzenegger, whatever it is, be a manly man. We, you know what we have today? Listen, we have, we have soft men. We have soft men, and we got hard women. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not against women going to the gym or staying in shape or whatever, but uh, I don't want to be married to a bodybuilder. And I don't want to be a, a cast potato. We've got everything backwards. Listen, God's not the author of confusion. When you get things out of order, you have confusion. That's the devil causing that. Let me say this. In, in the black culture, I have a very diversified church. We have a ton of black people in our church. It's, it's sad to me that, that uh, they always view the black man especially as weak and the black woman as this dominant woman. Uh, it's not right. It isn't that way, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. Look over in Joshua chapter number 1. Again, I'm just going to throw some stuff out here, throw some mud on the wall, and hope some of it sticks. I was a drywall finisher, so I put a lot of mud on the wall. That's what we called the spackle back then. Joshua chapter number 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister. So Joshua served Moses, and then God called Joshua to take Moses' place. Make a little statement you've heard many times. Before you're ready to be a leader, you need to learn how to be a follower. All right? I'm not contradicting what I just said about men being leaders. I'm saying this, uh, that we need to, to learn how to follow uh, before we are uh, really qualified to lead. Remember the centurion came to Jesus? He, he was over 100 men. And what did he say to Jesus? He said, I'm a man under authority. He knew, he knew how to accept authority knew how to, how to handle that. But look at Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 6. Be strong and of good courage. Look at verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous. Look at verse 9. Uh, have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Look at verse 18, the last part. Be strong and of good courage. Hey, God doesn't stutter. If he says it once, he means it. If he t says it twice, it's for emphasis. Four times here. He says, all right, Joshua, you're going you're gonna to be the leader now. You're, you're going to be the man. You've been serving Moses. You've been faithful. 
and, and now you're getting a promotion. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to be strong. As men, we need to be strong. Let me say this. We need to be strong physically, and we also need to be strong spiritually. I mean, I'm, I'm not just talking about, you know, going out and lifting weights and being the Iron Man and, and uh, muscle. There ought, to be a, there ought to be a manliness about us. But we need to be strong spiritually. How, how, about, how about the story of Samson? Samson, listen, so strong, but so weak. You hear me? It isn't, it isn't all just about lifting weights and pumping iron and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm all for that. But I'm talking about real strength. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about spirituality. I'm talking about being a man in, in every sense of the word. People respect strength. They despise weakness. Now, a lot of people hate Donald Trump. But Donald's Trump attraction is he tells it as it is. He's, he's not some wimpy person. He's out there, and maybe he says too much as it is. But there's, a, but there's a strength there. People are attracted to that. Let me make some statements. Your wife, number, number one, needs a strong husband. Your wife needs a strong husband. I... Uh, my wife didn't marry me because she wanted to have a little boy. She wanted to have a man. She wanted to have a husband. And, and you need to be strong for your wife. You need to be strong for your children. Your kids need a strong dad, a strong father. Again, not just physically. Maybe you have some health problems and you can't be real strong physically. You can still be manly. You can still be manly. We have a man in our church, Don Norey, and uh, he's from Trinidad. And he's in a wheelchair, he can hardly move, but he is a strong man. He's a spiritual giant. And that's what we need to be. Your children need somebody that they can look up to and admire. Uh, General Patton uh, had pearl-handled pistols. And uh, I, I watch a lot of these re, uh, the movies, you know, the, like History Channel, all that kind of stuff. And they said, how come you uh, you'd wear those pearl-handled pistols? Here's what he said. He said, my men need a hero. I don't want my kid's hero to be somebody bounces a basketball or throws a football or some weirdo rock uh, person, rock star, Bruce Springsteen or somebody. Yeah, uh, let me say this. The church, this church needs strong men. This, this church is only as strong as the men in this room. If you're a weak man, you're going to have a weak church. You have, you have to be a spiritual man. You have to be a strong person. You have to be a person of character. In, in our church, I tell our people this all the time. That's not slighting the women. That, I mean, we've got some praying women in our church. I thank the Lord for godly women and godly mothers. But a church, listen, when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't call 12 women. He didn't call six couples. He called 12 men. And he told Paul, and Paul said it. He said, you know, what you've learned, pass that on to faithful men who can pass it on to others. We, we need some strong Christian men. We need to be strong. People are attracted to strength. David's mighty men came to the cave because they wanted to follow a giant killer. Think about that. They wanted to follow a giant killer. You need to lead your family. You need to provide leadership. Adam failed in his leadership. Adam didn't provide the leadership for his wife that he should have provided. Where was he when the devil came? Why, why did he give in to his wife? 
If you don't lead, your wife will lead by default because somebody has to lead. In our church, I have ladies that bring their kids to church and the husband sits home. I, I have ladies that are just, have to be the spiritual leaders of their home because the men are not spiritual. And that's a sad thing. What makes a person spiritual? If a man be overtaken a fall, you that are spiritual, restore such a one. Being spiritual isn't because you do this and do this and do this and do this. A list of rules. It isn't that you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't do this. The Holy Spirit makes a person spiritual. You can do a lot of things in the flesh. I can, I can go out soul winning in the flesh. I've done it. You can, you can read your Bible and be in the flesh. You can, you can, you can tithe and be in the flesh. It's, it's God. It's being filled with God. When, when they wanted seven men, and whether they're deacons or not, I'm not sure, but we'll just say they were, they said, look out, seven men full of the Holy Ghost. Men that are filled with the Holy Ghost. We are supposed to be spirit-filled men, spirit-filled women, spirit-filled young people. That's the way we're supposed to be. Look over in Luke chapter number 8. And uh, I'm just going to talk as fast as I can for as long as I can. Luke chapter number 8. And uh, verse number 38. This story about the maniac of Gadara. And uh, Jesus cast the devil out of him. We don't cast devils out today, but we preach the devil out. Amen. And uh, we see that this man was delivered. I don't know about you, but I believe in deliverance. I shared a little bit of my testimony this morning. When, when I got saved, I was a mess. And God, listen, God just pulled me out of that. I mean, God did it. I know God did it. I, w I was so far into gambling, I'd have never quit. Because that's what I lived for. That was my life. But I got something better when I got saved. And I believe God delivers people. Look at verse 38. The man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away. So the, the man says, I want to be with you. I want to follow you. Jesus had another plan. He had a purpose for that man's life. Here's what he said. Return to thy house and show how great things God has done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. He sent that man home. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be a missionary to your family. I want you to be a missionary to your house. I preached this morning on your first ministry. Your first ministry, our first ministry is our family. I'm not neglecting the world for my family, but I'm not neglecting my family for the world. The hardest place to minister is in your own family. Jesus said he, he did not many works there because of their unbelief. Prophets not without honor except his own country among his own kin. Now, why is the hardest place to minister in your own family? Because they're the ones that see you all the time. They're the ones that know you best. I can get up on this platform and I can act spiritual. I can act like I'm this great godly person. But my wife knows me. My kids know me. My grandkids know me. My family knows me. So here's what I'm saying. Be 
a missionary at home. The hardest place, be a missionary at home. And notice what it says. Over in the book of, of Mark, it says, tell them. But here it says, show them. How, how, do we, how do we lead? How do we lead? We lead by example. Paul told Timothy, be an example of the believers. Somebody said this, your talk talks and your walk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. When Lot went down to Sodom, his sons-in-law looked at him they, as one that mocked. Because all of a sudden he's talking spiritual stuff to him, but he's not living like a spiritual man. If you're going to talk to talk, walk to walk. If you're going to talk to talk, walk to walk. Go over in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with thee, and may live long on the earth. Notice verse 4. Verse 1 is for children. Obey your parents. Verse 4 is for fathers. Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How do you provoke your children to wrath? You tell them what they ought to do, but you don't do it. You, you correct them for their faults and, and what they're doing wrong, but you're doing glaring things, and everybody knows that you're not what you're supposed to be, and they're going to get bitter at you because you're telling them what to do, but you're not doing it. Don't provoke your children wrath. That's why a lot of, a lot of young people aren't in church anymore. Here, here's my statement. Be real. Be real. Don't be a fake. That's... that's People hate fakes. People hate hypocrites. People hate phonies. We won't turn to it for time's sake. Because I don't know. What did you say? 40? 540? Okay. You remember Jacob? He's, 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 his mother... We got to turn over there. We won't get it all done, but we're, we're going to turn. Turn to Genesis 27. Genesis 27. I'm sorry. In Genesis chapter 27, Jacob uh, was his mother's favorite, and Esau was his father's favorite. Let me say right here, don't play favorites. My granddaughters, I got six granddaughters, and they'll send me cards, and they'll put on there your favorite. Every one of them puts it on there, all six of them. It's kind of like a family joke. And they'll say to me, which one's your favorite? I said, you're all my favorites. But don't play, but don't play favorites. Here, here was a house divided. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Here, here was uh, uh, Isaac, and he's, his boo-boo is Esau. And, and here's his wife, and, and her, her boo-boo is Jacob. And all it did was split the family up. So she comes up with this scheme where he's going to get the blessing, where Jacob's going to get the blessing. And he, and he puts the wool on him, and he, he, she makes him stew, and he gives it to the father and deceives him. But notice what it says in Genesis chapter 27 and 19. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. He wasn't Esau. He was Jacob. Here's, here's, here's the, get this. He was pretending to be somebody he wasn't. 
He was pretending to be somebody he wasn't. I had a young lady come to me lately, and she was having some issues, and the family's been in our church for 20 years. And she made a statement, something like this. She said, the way we are in church isn't the way we really are. 80% Barna, there's a guy named Barna, he does surveys. And I'm just going by what he says, and maybe he's wrong, but he's probably close. He says 80% of young people growing up in church today will leave church but between the age of 18 and 22, never to return. How many young people grow up in our fundamental churches, independent churches, and they're bitter, and they're angry, and they're mad, and they, as soon as they can, they leave, and then a lot of them, all they do is throw stones at you after they leave, and all over the internet and all that stuff going on. Now, some of them just need to get saved. Some of them need to get right with God. But some of them are bitter because of the hypocrisy that they've lived with all their life. I don't want my kids, you know, I just don't want my kids to think I'm a phony. I don't, I don't, I don't, if, I'm, if I want to be anything, I want to be real. I don't want to try to impress people. Here's, here's Jacob, and his father says, who are you? He says, I'm Esau. Later on, when he wrestles with God, you know what God does? He says, what's your name? What's your name? You know what he does? He takes him all the way back to this lie, and he's telling him, you've got to deal with this. We need to quit faking it, and we need to be real. We just need to quit putting on airs. Acts chapter number 5, look over there. Sapphira and Ananias. Acts chapter 5. And I'll just read verse 3. You know the story. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? Now here's Barnabas up in Acts chapter 4. He has a piece of land. He sells it and he gives the money to the church. And boy, everybody's talking about it. How about Barnabas? How about that money? Look what Barnabas did. So here's Sapphira and Ananias, and they think, well, look, we'll, we got a piece of land. Let's sell it, and we'll, we'll give the money to church. And everybody will say, hey, how about Sapphira? How about Ananias? Aren't they wonderful? Aren't they great? So they sell the land. They get the money, but they hold back and act like they've given it all, but they really didn't give it all. Here's what they were doing. They were acting more spiritual than they really were. They were acting more spiritual. I wonder how many people, and you know what God did? He killed them. I wonder how many in, in the church today, if God killed everybody that was acting more spiritual than they really were, I wonder if there'd be enough people to take up the offering. When I preach out Acts chapter 5, I always tell people this. I say, I bet you next week the offerings went up. But do you get the point? My son will say this sometimes when he's preaching. Adjust your halo. We, we, of course, we put on our best clothes when we come to church. We put on our game face when we come to church. But listen, I, 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 don't, want, I don't want to just put on a game face. I don't want to just be a fake. I want to be real. And, and if I'm going to impress anybody, why should I impress a bunch of people that I'm not even related to? I want to impress my kids and my wife. And the only way I can do that is by being real. Notice what it says here. He kept back part of the price. We need to give everything to God and hold nothing back. 
We need to give ourselves to God and not hold back anything on God. Look in Proverbs 23. And again, I'm just, I just wrote down a bunch of stuff on some paper. and There's no real uh, order to it. Just, just trying to throw some thoughts out for you. Proverbs chapter 23. One of the men here asked me today about, he has a couple of kids and, you know, what do you do? What do you do here? And one of the most important things I think in the world is Proverbs 23, 26. And I'm going to make an application. Every verse has one interpretation, but many applications. And it says, my son, give me thy heart. Now, number one, I know God wants my heart. The great commandment, they said to Jesus, what's the great commandment? He said, it's easy, you love God with all your heart. That's, that's the first and great commandment. So we, we love God, but I want, I want my son's heart. I have two sons. I want their hearts. I, I, I as a dad, I, I want their heart. The two greatest motivations in the world are love and fear. And sometimes children need correction. Young people need correction. Sometimes as adults, we need correction. But we also need love. And it can't be all correction. You get, you're not going to win your kid's heart by just finding, uh, you know, never missing one thing they do wrong. And I'm not saying to be lax or not correct your kids, but I'm saying this. You need to win their hearts. When, when my kids were growing up, my grandkids, uh, uh, young people in our Bible college, man, I want to win their hearts. I had, a, I had a number of the young people call me today. Happy Father's Day, Pop. I, I, I want to win people's hearts. I want that, I want that connection there. Um, we came up from Texas in 1981 and started a church. I had to go back doing drywall. I was a construction man before I went to ministry. I've never been to Bible college or anything fancy like that. So I'm working a job. I'm starting a church. I'm trying to be a wife, uh, trying to be a wife, trying to be a husband, trying to be, trying to be a dad. And my youngest son, I had a man in church and he'd take him, you know, I'll take him to the ball game. I'll take him here. And, and I realized one day, I don't, I don't have that bond with him that I want to have. And, and the Lord showed me that, and I corrected it. And, and now we're as close as can be. My sons, listen, my sons, I hug my sons. I kiss my sons on the neck. I tell them I love them. I, I, they do the same to me. We, we need to be that way. We need to be that way. We need to be close. We need to, we need to have that bond. My son, give me thy heart. Why do we serve the Lord? Why do we obey the Lord? Because we love him. I mean, we love the love of God, Paul said, constraineth me. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. How many people here you want your sons to love you? Your wife to love you? Your daughters to love you? All right, you'd be stupid if you didn't raise your hand, right? Look over in Luke 2.38. Every preacher has this memorized, Luke 2.38. That's not the verse I want. That's how stupid I am. 6.38, thank you. I was just getting there. That's the old people's thing. Luke 6.38. See that? Dr. Wilkerson has it memorized. Luke 6, 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. 
Luke 6, 38. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Should men give into your bosom, for with the same measure you meet with all, it should be measured to you again. So the Bible says, give and it should be given unto you. So we preach, you know, you give, you can't outgive God. God will give it back to you. That's true. So we talk about this verse a lot when we preach on giving, when we preach on money. But look at the verse. Give and it shall be given unto you. What is the it in this verse? Here's what the it is. It's anything you want it to be. It's anything you want it to be. Whatever you give, you're going to get back. All right? We're going, to, we're going to reap what we sow. We're going to reap what we sow. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that you also reap. So if I want my wife to love me, what do I need to do? I need to love her. I mentioned this morning in my message. You want your wife to treat you like a king, treat her like a queen. If I want to win my son's hearts, if I want my kids to love me, my grandkids to love me, if I want my family to be close, then it starts with me. It starts at the top. If I give them love, if I give them affection, I give them time, I give them, they're going to give it back to me. And we're going to have it. We're going to have it. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child the way he should go, and when he was old, he'll not depart from it. Training isn't just telling. All right? Training is hands-on. It's not just telling. It didn't just do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. When I corrected my kids when they were young, I wish I had corrected them more because now they can both beat me up because I'm old. I always tell them that. I say, I wish I'd beat you more when you're little, you know. We don't use that word beat because that sounds like child abuse. But when I corrected my kids, before I corrected them, I said, now, do you know what you're getting corrected for? And I didn't correct them until they knew and told me what it was for. I didn't want to just get mad and, you know, just spank them or whatever. My mom didn't know much Bible, and she didn't know about the rod. She just, just, you know, my head just go back and forth. She smacked me across the face or whatever. My mom would say this. She said, tell me the truth, and I won't smack you. And I'd tell her the truth, and then she'd whip on me. My, my sons are not afraid of me. They're deathly afraid of my wife. And all their stories growing up is how their mom beat on them. But anyway, we're getting off the subject on that. Here's what I would do. I'd say, okay, what did you do wrong? And they had to tell me. And I didn't correct them at that point. I said, now, what should you have done? What should you have done? I don't want to correct somebody that did something wrong, didn't even know they were doing wrong. And I'm not training them by just getting mad at them or correcting them or spanking them all the time or hollering them all the time for stuff they're doing wrong. I, I want it to be correction to get them in the right direction, get them doing right, right. So I would explain to them what they did wrong and what they should have done. And then tell them why. Now, when a little child, a small child, you tell them something and they say, why? All you need to say is because I said. But as they get older, they need an explanation. Why, why do we live the way we do? Why do, why do, as a Christian family, when my kids were growing up, uh, why, why do we live the way we do? It was not because you're the preacher's kids. 
It was because you're Christians. I never said to my kids, like, well, I'm the preacher, and, and I got to look good, and you guys got to all behave. It wasn't because of that. It's because we're Christians, what the Bible says. But there's more to training than just spanking kids when they're bad. You need to teach them what's right, and you need to lead, and you need to show them. Look at Luke chapter 2. I'm getting into my message. I'm going to preach tonight. Uh, Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 49. He said unto them, Jesus, how is it that you sought me? Wished you not, knew you not, I must be about my father's business. Look at verse 42. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem. Jesus is 12 years old, and he tells Mary, don't you know I need to be about my father's business. I need to be about my father's business. You need to serve the Lord. I need to serve the Lord. But we need to serve the Lord as a family. We need to get our family involved. We need to get our children involved in serving the Lord. Jesus, at 12 years old, said, I must be about my father's business. We are mistaken if we think we can bring children up in church, bring children up in Christian school, and they just sit around and vegetate for 10 or 15 years, and then they reach a certain age, 18 or 19 or 20, and all of a sudden, they're going to be a ball of fire for God. I would think this. Most young people that are growing up in a Christian home, growing up in a Bible church, if they don't get busy serving God when they're young, they'll never serve God. Serving God, it isn't like you reach, you know, 21 years old and you can go out and get drunk. Or 17 years old and you can get a driver's license. When our kids were young, and we got, we got saved, the kids were little, like six and four and seven. And when I started serving God, my wife started serving God, the kids started serving God with us. I'd take the kids out on the bus route with me. And, and we'd go visiting and, and uh, whatever we did, cleaning the church or setting up, taking down to school, doing, doing whatever we did, uh, the kids got involved when they were little. If I went to a preacher's meeting to hear the preachers, I took my kids with me. If we, we have a summit, we probably won't have it this year because of the, what's going on. But we invite the preachers and their families and their kids, and we have something for everybody. We have something for everybody. We need to see the greatness of serving God. When over in, in Acts chapter 16, that damsel that followed Paul around, and uh, he grieved, grieved him in his, he grieved, look over there with me, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, he gets the Macedonian call. He goes over into Macedonia, and uh, they go down there where prayer was uh, known to be made, and Lydia gets saved. And look at verse 16, 16, 16, Acts 16, 16. It came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. 
The same followed Paul and us, cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. This lady had the right message, but she grieved Paul because she had the wrong spirit. We've got, we've got the right message. Do we have the right spirit? Do we have the spirit of the Lord? This, this book is a spiritual book, but we need to be careful with it. We're not carnal preachers. There's, there's a lot of different ministries in this world, a lot of different pastors, a lot of different people. They've got the right message, but they've, they've got the wrong spirit. I, I've got a young man in my church, and, and uh, he likes to street preach, and I'm not against street, pre street preaching. But you, you can't go up to somebody's window and yell, you're going to hell, and think they're going to get saved. You've got to have the right spirit. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. But notice what she says. These are the servants of the Most High God which show us the way of salvation. We need to see the greatness of serving God. We need to see the greatness of serving God. You don't need a title. You don't need an office. You don't need a paycheck to serve God. And our young people, our children, need to see the greatness of serving God. I was talking to Brother Wilkerson. I said, we need to start churches. We need, we need to start churches in the Northeast. And he said, we need men. And we do. We can't start churches without men. But how many young people, their desire is really to serve the Lord? Spurgeon said this to the preacher boys in his preacher's college. He said, don't stoop to be a king. Don't stoop to be a king. We have a preacher in New Jersey who wants to run for government. They want to run for governor. And we sure needed to save governor. But I called him on the phone and I gave him that quote from Spurgeon. Because to me, listen, to, to be governor of New Jersey would be a step down. For me to be president of the United States would be a step down. If they wanted me to be president today, I'd turn it down. Because I have a higher calling. But the young people, listen, young people, I never put it on my kids. Both my sons work with me in the ministry. I never put it on them like, oh, you know, this is what I want you to do. Uh, you, I want you to follow me. I want you to pastor a church. I never put that on them. But I always did put out in front of them the, the greatness of serving God. If I just complained all the time about how hard it is and how rough it is and how tough it is, and my wife moaned and groaned, those kids wouldn't be in a ministry. Serve God together. Serve God together. Jesus at 12 years old said, I need to be about my father's business. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 2.18, uh, Samuel ministered before the Lord being a child. And David, when, when David killed Goliath, Saul said, whose son is this stripling? He wasn't even fully grown. So I'm over time, aren't I? All right. All right, I'll quit. Um, let me just say this. I'll be done. Teach him respect. Teach him respect. I've never heard my sons, and I'm not just bragging on my kids. I've never heard my kids, my sons, ever disrespect their mom, not one time. I never, ever heard them say us back. I never saw them give her an attitude. I never saw them disrespect their mom. You know why that is? They never saw me disrespect their mom.
respect authority. We have a man on our staff, Lieutenant Colonel Bliss. I call him Colonel. I have a police chief in our church. I call him Chief. You know who that is? That's the pastor. Respect. People need to learn respect today.